Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 14, verses 5 through 11. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where we are going, so how do we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Didn't you believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Thank you. Good morning, church. I'm Nancy, one of the pastors on the team, and it is so good to gather with you this morning. A little insight to my childhood. When I was young, I loved to play with Barbies. I had a collection of different Barbies, of all of the accessories that go with them, and lots of different clothes. And one time a friend was over and we decided to play Barbies, and she picked out the most fabulous white dress that I had, and she put it on the Barbie she was playing with. I think we were getting them ready to go to a wedding celebration. So here she has the white flowing dress, and then she picked brown cowboy boots and put those on with the dress. And I looked at her and said, that's not the way that goes. She's like, but that's the way I like it. I said, well, they can't go to a wedding like that. She's like, well, maybe we'll play something else. Can we go to a celebration of some other sort, a birthday party? No, you can't wear a white dress with brown cowboy boots like that. That's not the way it happens. She's like, "Mm, I like it this way. So, of course... I decided we were done playing Barbies. I put them all away, and if she ever wanted to play them again, we went to her house to play with her Barbies and her assortment of shoes. We didn't play with my Barbies because that was not the way we did it. I wonder if that's true for you, too, in in just even small patterns of life. Do you have a way that you do things, certain patterns of behavior that sometimes we just take for granted, that it's just the way we do it? Let me give you a few examples. Your dishwasher your top rack. Do you load it from the front to the back or the back to the front? And the plates on the lower level, do they all face a certain direction? To the left, to the right, to the center? And what happens if somebody comes over and helps you load your dishwasher? Mm -hmm. I know, some of you are shaking your head, say that's not the way we do it, and secretly you will rearrange the dishwasher later. What about laundry, another simple idea? Do you sort your colors from your darks, from your lights, from your towels? And if you sort them in the wash, are they commingled in your hamper or laundry bin, or are they sorted by those colors and particularities as they're dirty? Or are you the type that you just throw everything in, the kitchen towels, the bath towels, the cleaning towels, the darks, and the lights, in one huge load and wash all of them at once? Hmm. That's not the way I do things. No. There could be other things like that. We all find patterns of behavior. We set our course and we move towards it. Even if we're taking a road trip, often we'll just plot in the destination in our GPS or consult a map, and and we're on our way. We chart the course, and the goal is reaching that destination rather than necessarily enjoying the journey quite often. 
The same may be true with our goals. We set goals, we define plans, and then we, we work to navigate the course to achieve that goal, that end result. Even though there's a lot of work along the way, often we get caught in our habits, our patterns of behavior. So often in that, we don't look up and notice what's going on around us. We may miss the signs of God around us. And as we come to our passage today, Jesus has a few things to teach us about the way, his way. I invite you to open your Bible or the Bible app to John, which is in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels. And today we're going to be in John 14. And John 14, 6 actually says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're in this series exploring the I am statements. And I want to give a little context of what Jesus is talking about at this time in his life. We're also going to look back and forth between some Old Testament verses and New Testament. So it sheds even more light on the statement that Jesus has made. I am the way, the truth, the life. So in this passage, Jesus has already rode into Jerusalem on a colt, Palm Sunday, as we're celebrating today. And this conversation he's having with his disciples happens in the Passover supper, the night before his crucifixion. He's already washed his disciples' feet, and he's told them that he's going to be going away to a place they cannot go. He's already predicted his betrayal by Judas and the denial by Peter. And he said, I will be going away. And in response to the disciples' questions and confusions, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a very specific statement and has been used at times in history to keep others out of the kingdom of heaven. This verse sometimes causes trouble for people. And Leslie Newbigin, a missionary and theologian that lived from 1909 to 1998, quite a, a life of missionary service to India, he said this is called the scandal of particularity. It's quite particular. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And it seems, well, it seems almost arrogant doesn't it? It's exclusive. In this age of many truths, of your version and my version and so many different truths, who gets to declare the truth? Some may even interpret that as this is the only way. But it's only arrogant if we treat it this way. If in our arrogance we say you're excluded, so everyone else is out which is actually the antithesis of the whole gospel. People use these words to shut others out of God's kingdom when God is actually throwing open the doors. And because of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, life has been made full for us. We are invited in. So to understand the fullness of Jesus' words, I want to back up just a little bit in our text. Um, I want to look at John 1 through... 14 verses 1 through 4. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. We know the disciples, and even though they had spent so much time with Jesus, often they missed what he was trying to say. Even here, Thomas, often known as Doubting Thomas, he says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you were going, so how can we know the way? Here, again, he's trying to to quantify Jesus. He's trying to um, understand Jesus in earthly terms, to understand that he's going to be their vindicator, their protector, their king, to understand a physical location where Jesus is going so he can plot his map, so he knows the way to get there. But Jesus is not referring to that. And in response, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Now, recalling what we've learned about the I am statements, we look back at Exodus 3. Moses was tending to his flock, doing his own thing, on his way, on his own time, when out of the corner of the eye, he sees a burning bush that is not being consumed. And then he hears a voice calling for him. So he goes over and says, here I am. And God revealed himself to Moses, then details how he wants Moses to save the Israelites, to lead them out of captivity. And when Moses asks God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? I am who I am. I am am has sent you. Simply this means God exists. God has been. He is in this moment and he will continue to be, always be God. He is. So back to our passage in John now. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus actually answers him in the reverse order of his questions. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Jesus is emphatically declaring that he is the one. He too is I am who I am. John is pointing to the echo between John's words and the words of God that he revealed in Exodus as he revealed his name. The echo between Jesus and God's promises. The echo, the tension of what was, what is, and what is yet to come. Now, Philip, he still doesn't get it. Look in verse 8. He says, Lord... Show us the Father, and that will be enough. I mean, come on, man. Really? Philip, Jesus' reply here is almost a rebuke. He says, don't you know me? Come on, man. Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. And how can you say, show us the Father? In fact, Jesus has just invited them to his house 
to his father's house. Let's look again at John 14 too. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The only other time that Jesus has used this phrase, my father's house, is when he's spoken about the actual physical temple. That was the place the Jews believed was heaven and earth, where they met, where heaven and earth met, the now and the not yet. That was the whole thing about the Holy of Holies. You couldn't enter if you were unclean because it was where heaven met earth. It was special. All right, let's go back again to Exodus. After Moses left the Israelites and led them from Egypt and into the desert, God was with them. Kids, do you remember how God was with them? He was in that pillar of fire at night that provided warmth and led them. And he was in the cloud during the day that that provided shade and covering and protection for them. He was the great I am, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, the laws as a way to live a life free to worship him, not as a set of rules or or commandments to, um, to control them. He also gave Moses plans to build a temple. He instituted ceremonies and celebrations, as well as offerings and sacrifices as a way to atone for their sin, to cover it up. And if you remember God's presence settled in the Holy of Holies. The temple was honored as the place where God dwelled and would meet his people. The temple was not a structure for corporate worship, somewhat as we understand a sanctuary today, but a place for God to dwell in the middle of his people. It had to be maintained in holiness and purity so that God's continuing presence would be safe. In Exodus 25 and 26, we see great detail that God gave of how to build the temple. And in 25, 8, God says, Then have make them a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And Exodus and Leviticus continue with the detailed instruction and how the presence of God would be with them at the very center of the camp. So the great I am would be, I am would be with his people. So the loving Father could be present among his people. So I want to show you an outline of the tabernacle, these very specific instructions. There was the the outer walls that had fabric draped, and there was a certain distance between each post. There was one entrance, and then there was the place where people offered their sacrifices, and then where they cleansed themselves, and then as they go further into that tabernacle, there was the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt. We might even remember that the priests were the one who took those sacrifices and offerings in for the people, and they cleansed themselves so they would be pure in God's truth and go in to meet with him. Now, there's been much study about the tabernacle, and we can see many ways that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all of the components of the tabernacle. So here's a few particulars. The single gate on the east side was the way in, the way to draw closer 
to the presence of God. This outer court was accessible to all people. All are welcome. This is where the ceremonial washings would occur, here in the center, and then into the holy place where the altar of incense and the golden lamp stand was, and finally to the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God, the place of life, the way, the truth, the life. The plans and purposes described in the Old Testament, the way of God, is finding fullness and completion in Jesus. In the new covenant, we are invited into this new way of life, this space of life. The sanctification of the temple is no longer necessary because Jesus has come into the world. Jesus, the one consecrated by God, has come. And if the temple was the honored place where God dwelled, how much more should Jesus be honored in whom the Father dwells and whom he dwells in, the Father? The former role of the temple, the place of God meeting his people, is now assumed by Jesus in whom God does dwell perfectly, fully, beautifully. We can look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Listen to the New Living Translation version of this. So the Word became human and made his home among us. In the Greek, literally, here's what it says. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Isn't that beautiful? Now listen, listen to the message version. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And down in John 1.17, the law was given to Moses, those old establishments of the temple, grace and and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus came as flesh, lived among his people, bringing truth and grace and swinging open the doors to know the way, the truth, the life. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified, that thick heavy veil that separated the way into the Holy of Holies. As he was crucified and died, that was torn in two, signifying it was no longer necessary to have this dividing line because Jesus tabernacles among us. He dwells among us. Matthew 12, 6 says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. 
He tears that veil between heaven and earth, between the holy and the unholy. He is the reason we can boldly approach the throne of grace. He lives in the neighborhood, and we get to see his glory, his goodness, with our own eyes. This is what I often call God sightings, what I love to point out with kids, with all of you. He is here. He is God. He is good. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Friends, what does this mean for us today now? The New Testament has never been just a roadmap how to get to heaven, how to live life along the way and manage to make it and then spend eternity in heaven. It's about the inbreaking of the kingdom now, here, about God with us here, now. It's not an end. It's not a destination to arrive at, a map to just plot or course and point out the GPS coordinates until we survive and reach a destination. No. Jesus is inviting us to enter his courts, to walk in his ways, to know the truth of his goodness, his love, to find a fullness of life that only he can bring. He says, I am. His very being is the way, the truth, the life. His very being dwells with us now. Where people used to offer sacrifices and the priest would enter the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people, Jesus says, I have made a way to be with you. To be with you in the ordinary, average moments of your day, in the dark, in the despair, in the joy, in the celebration. In John 14, 10 and 11, he says, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. That work, friends, is in us. When we trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, we gain access to the kingdom now. We know the Father now. We are assured of eternal life now. And that's, that's a radical shift from doing things my own way, of plotting my own course, of trying to control my own outcomes. We get to walk with Jesus now, to trust him, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who guides us, who walks with us. And as we spend time with Jesus we know he dwells in us, showing us his truth, showing us this with God life. As we let go of our own ways of doing things, our own ways of being and existing in a world, of commandeering our own truth, we get to experience the fullness of life with Jesus as a good friend often reminds me, the kingdom is not behind us, friends. And it is not some far-off destination. And it is not 
limited. The kingdom is set before us, and we are invited to be co-laborers with Jesus, bringing the kingdom here now on earth as it is in heaven. But it's not ours to keep. It's not ours alone. I am not qualified or gifted enough or capable of doing this alone. But when I walk with Jesus, when I trust in him and am given the gift of the Holy Spirit, when I let go of my way, my truth, my own claims to my life, I surrender to the great I am. And in that, anything is possible. More than we could think or ask or imagine because we know the great I am, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we are so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. Even in this week, as we think about Palm Sunday and Jesus coming in to celebrate with his friends, but know there is death at the end of the week. Lord, let us surrender our own ways. Let there be death to our own control. Let us surrender ourselves to your way, to your truth. Let us know that there is life at the other side of that, that just as Jesus rose again, he is alive, and you give us that fullness of life. Lord, help us to see signs of your presence Help us to be co-laborers to bring the kingdom now. Lord, you are good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.